You're listening to Kalam Institute's podcast series, Sirah, Life of the Prophet, by Sheikh Abdul Nasir Jangda. Visit us on the web at kalaminstitute.org or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash kalaminstitute. Bismillahi walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Inshallah, continuing with our series on the life of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, Asiratul Nabawiyah, the prophetic biography. In the last few sessions, we've talked about in a lot of detail, actually, the Prophet sallallahu migration from the Hijrah from Makkah to Medina. We talked about the Prophet sallallahu arrival in Medina, and over the last few sessions, what we've basically focused on from the construction of the Masjid to the Mashru'iyah of the Adhan, basically the uh, legalization or the initiation of the Adhan within to the Islamic practice. Um, we also talked about some of the 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 terms that the Prophet ﷺ set down, the charter of Medina, the agreement with the Jewish tribes in and around Medina. We talked about some of the initial births and deaths within the Muslim community in Medina. So at this particular time, you know, the Muakhat, of course, we talked about the Prophet ﷺ establishing the bonds of brotherhood between not only just the Muhajirun and the Ansar, but also reconciling a lot of the previous uh, grievances that there were between some of the tribes within Medina. And at this point in time, a community has really been formed and been established. Now, the Prophet ﷺ turned his attention to the next issue at hand. The next issue at hand was... So I'd actually like to start this off with a little bit of an introduction, if, if, if I may. And the introduction that I'll start with is that... The Prophet ﷺ, one of the, the next thing that he had to deal with was that there was a pre-existing conflict with the people of Mecca. If we try to remember, it's been some time since we talked about it, but the Prophet ﷺ did not leave Mecca under very peaceful circumstances. If you remember when he left Mecca, the last scene that we saw in Mecca was the Prophet's home is surrounded by, you know, a hundred men with arrows and swords drawn waiting to assassinate the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ is sneaking out in the middle of the night, reciting du'as in Qur'an, and escaping from Mecca. The Prophet ﷺ and Abu Bakr are hiding out in a cave, while they're being searched for. The Prophet ﷺ and Abu Bakr are going along the path, while they're being hunted down by bounty men, right? Bounty hunters. And so, the last thing that we remember from Mecca, is that, they were not giving up the pursuit of the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ leaving Mecca was not good enough for them. But they were coming after him. They were in hot pursuit of the Prophet ﷺ. So this issue had not been handled and dealt with yet. Yes, it had been dealt with in the sense of the Prophet ﷺ stabilized his own community. The Prophet ﷺ made sure that at least in the short term, the Jewish tribes in and around Medina would not be a source of, you know, uh, would not be a source, would not be a cause for concern for the Prophet ﷺ. They wouldn't be any other type of a source of treachery within Medina. But the Meccans were still out there. The Quraysh was still out there. And 
still had it out for the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims. And in fact, instead of being relieved at the fact that the Prophet ﷺ had gone and settled somewhere hundreds of miles away, they were agitated by the fact that Muhammad thinks that he can go there and just set up his own community. And then what's going to happen down the road? Is he going to attack us? Are we going to fight? What's going to happen? So this tension was still there. And the Prophet ﷺ had to deal with this accordingly. Secondly, there are narrations which prove and establish the fact that they had seen individuals, they had even caught people who were spies. There were spies from Quraysh, from Mecca, from some of the other tribes who were spying on the Prophet ﷺ in Medina and the Muslims and relaying that information back to Mecca to try to figure out exactly what was going on and maybe even possibly look for a vantage point or a particular weak spot from where they could attack Medina. On top of all of that, there was also you know, intelligence and there was also information to the fact that the Meccans had started to already develop some level of, they had started to invest into their defense fund. That they were specifically now investing money, conducting business to turn profits to be able to develop some type of an artillery. Just in case they ever needed to launch an attack. All of this is going on at the same time. Fourthly, the Prophet ﷺ was concerned about the tribes, the Arab tribes that lived around Medina. That would be known as the A'rab, the Bedouin tribes that were outside of Medina, between Mecca and Medina, on the way to Medina, because they were basically in the middle. Yes, they were, they were mostly idol worshipping, they were idolatrous, they were worship, idol worshippers. But nevertheless, they hadn't necessarily taken a side with the Quraysh and they necessarily hadn't taken a side with the Muslims either. They were kind of just in the middle. They were free agents. I'll go wherever it's got the best offer. So the Prophet ﷺ was also concerned about this fact that I have to make sure that the Meccans don't basically show up at our doorstep through allegiances and alliances. That basically all the way from outside of Medina all the way to Mecca, it's nothing but Quraysh allies. Because... That's, we'll, we'll be trapped, we'll be surrounded. And so the Prophet ﷺ has all these concerns. And before I even talk about the, the wahi, the divine revelation, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's instruction to the Prophet ﷺ, I want to clarify one thing. You know, one thing that you have to understand is that Every person who serves in a particular capacity understands their position and their responsibilities. And a lot of times people outside of that sphere, outside of that quote-unquote line of work or that reality, they, are, they don't have that first-person perspective. They don't really know or understand what it's like. They can't know what it's like. And so a lot of times what happens is that when people study the life and the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ, or people comment on or talk about the life of the Prophet ﷺ, in the early Medinan period here, what we're going to talk about today is that there are instances, there are cases, there are situations where the Prophet, somebody could read it, particularly based on who has written the account, or who has written the narrative, and they can, it, it can seem to them like the Prophet started, was starting a fight. Why did he have to send out expeditions? Why was he sending out expeditions? That's asking for a fight, that's picking a fight. Look, Muhammad, of course we don't feel this way, but people would say Muhammad was a warmonger. 
Muhammad was instigating a fight. Muhammad was doing this. Muhammad was doing that. But of course, we know that the Prophet of Allah, Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, was anything but all of this. But what you have to understand and what we all have to understand and deal with the reality of is that when you are in a particular position and you have a particular responsibility, there are realizations and there are certain realities that you have to deal with. Defending your people and defending your, 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 the sanctity of your homes and defending the sanctity of your city and your territory is a responsibility. And sometimes it's not a pretty responsibility, it's an ugly responsibility. Right? But you, you have to deal with it. Somebody could walk up to a physician, a surgeon, a doctor, and say you cut people open all day long and you just, you know, cut people open and lay them out on the table. What's wrong with you? Astaghfirullah. Now how you live with yourself? How do you look in the mirror? Right? But that person understands. Look, you do not understand my position, my responsibility. The knowledge that I have, right? And so that necessitates me doing certain things that you might not like or agree with. And so in the same way, the Prophet of Allah yes, he is the messenger of God. And he receives divine revelation. And he is a spiritual leader for mankind. And he is a mercy for all of humanity. But the Prophet of Allah wasallam is also a head of state. And he also has a city to run. And he has a people to protect. Not just men, but women and children. Elderly. People that he is responsible for. And he has to take that responsibility very seriously. And that's why a lot of times, in a lot of cases, as we go now into the Medinan era, and of course when you study something in detail and with nuance, it makes a lot more sense. But there's a reality that sometimes there are certain political realities. Certain things have to be done when you are dealing with, you know, there are different states and nations and people. And there are times of war and times of conflict. There are some very, very tough decisions that have to be made. And that can only be appreciated by someone who is in that position and is in that place and in that capacity. And so that's just a little bit something to kind of think about. Because a lot of times what happens, especially the Orientalist, the academic critique of Islam and of the life of the Prophet ﷺ is being done sitting in a very comfortable reclining chair in an air-conditioned room behind a big desk. And then you're analyzing the situation of a people who were being attacked from all sides, who had been chased out of their own homes. They had suffered a decade of beatings and torture and even now, they were eating barely one or two dates a day. They were living basically in starvation. And on top of everything else, they were constantly under attack. And constantly under the threat of attack. It's very easy to critique their behavior. From this perspective, while I sip my latte and sit on a comfortable chair in an air-conditioned room, it's very easy for me to critique their behavior. But I have to try to understand what it's like to be in that situation. And so these are just some things to kind of chew on and think about for all of us. Now let's talk about it from the Islamic perspective. So the ulama 
the scholars, specifically, in, I'll be kind of taking some excerpts from the book Subulul Huda wa Rashad, which is one of the most detailed accounts of the life of the Prophet ﷺ, one of the most intellectual or academic, detail-oriented accounts of the Prophet ﷺ. It's a very scholarly work where basically this, he mentions that قال العلماء رحمه الله رحمه الله أول ما أوحى إليه ربه تبارك وتعالى أن يقرأ باسم ربك الذي باسم that very first the Prophet ﷺ was given the divine revelation, Iqra. And that was the beginning of his prophethood. He told him to read but did not tell him to deliver the message. But then Allah told, revealed the verses, Ya ayyuhal qum now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told the Prophet ﷺ, stand up and preach, and he started preaching the message. And he specifically told him, Start with your tribe and your family people. So he started warning his his own family members, Banu Hashim. Then he went beyond that to the Quraysh. Then he went beyond that to all of the Arabs, like the whole city of Mecca. And so much so that the Prophet of Allah's message started to reach others, even the jinn. And start, the news started to reach to the tribes outside of Mecca. And the Prophet basically did this for over 10 years. And there was no, this was it, this was the task and this was the job and there was no recourse. So when things went to violence and torture and persecution, there was no recourse. You could not take up arms against the people. Then the Prophet of Allah was told to take the message outside of Mecca. And he took the message outside of Mecca and the torture continued in Mecca. But again, the only command from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was Al-Kafu was-Sabru was-Safhu. Resist the temptation to fight, to retaliate, be patient, and just let it go and just keep doing what you're supposed to do. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told the Prophet Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him the permission to migrate, to leave Mecca and go to Medina. Then when the Prophet reached the city of Medina, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala aided him with his help, and by surrounding him with de dedicated and devoted believers, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him protection in the form of the Ansar of Medina, the Aws and the Khazraj, the Arabs of Medina. And the Prophet of Allah built this community and solidified them and established them. And Imam al-Bayhaqi talks about this. So he says that when the Prophet ﷺ and his companions came to Medina, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them a home amongst the Ansar, the Arabs and the Jews, some of the other Arab tribes and the Jew, Jewish tribes, began to attack the Muslims with one arrow, with one bow. Basically, they became unified in their cause against Islam and against the Prophet ﷺ. And they basically completely invested themselves into ruining and destroying and killing these people. So much so that he says, He says so much so that until the Muslims reached such a point, when they would go to sleep at night, they would keep their swords next to them. When they would wake up in the morning, they would wake up with their swords next to them. فَقَالُوا تُرَى 
نعيش حتى نبيت حتى نبيت مطمئنين لا نخاف إلا الله عز وجل. He says that what we dream about, what we dream about is that we would be able to live life so much so that we could go to sleep at night peacefully, not fearing anyone or anything except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We wouldn't worry about enemies knocking at our doors. فَأَنزَلَ اللَّهُ تَبَارَكَ وَتَعَلَىٰ Allah first revealed the ayah of the Qur'an وَعَدَ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا مِنْكُمْ وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ لَيَسْتَخْلِفَنَّهُمْ فِي الْأَرْضِ كَمَا سَخْلَفَ الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِهِمْ Allah told them that Allah has promised, God has promised those who believe from amongst you and those who do good deeds that He will give them dominance and ownership of the earth just like He gave it to the people that came before them and he will solidify the religion that he has approved for them. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will change, will exchange their condition of fear into a condition of peace. Allah says, so long as they continue to worship me, so long as they continue to worship me, and they do not associate any partners to me, but whoever will disbelieve or be ungrateful to Allah after that, beyond that, then those people, they are the ones crossing the limits and disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And also another similar ayat were revealed. وَالَّذِينَ هَاجَرُوا فِي اللَّهِ مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا ظُلِمُوا وَالَّذِينَ هَاجَرُوا فِي اللَّهِ This is uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah An-Nahl. Allah says this in Surah An-Nahl, um, Surah number 16, ayahs 41 and 42, that وَالَّذِينَ هَاجَرُوا Those who migrated in the path of Allah مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا ظُلِمُوا After they were oppressed. لَنُبَوِّئَنَّهُمْ فِي الدُّنْيَا حَسَنًا We will give them a very amazing home in the life of this world. وَلَأَجَرُ الْآخِرَةِ أَكْبَرُ And most definitely the reward of the hereafter will be even greater. لَوْ كَانُوا يَعْلَمُونَ If only they would understand this, they would realize this. الَّذِينَ صَبَرُوا وَعَلَىٰ رَبِّهِمْ يَتَوَكَّلُونَ Those people who practiced patience and they constantly continue to maintain their faith, their trust, their dependence, their reliance upon their Lord Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed these ayat and the Yahud and the Mushrikun from there, um, from even in Medina, so it wasn't just out in Mecca, but now the Yahud and the, um, the disbelievers that were still there in Medina, they started to target the Prophet wasallam and the believers, initially by even, you know, slandering them, criticizing them, saying inappropriate things about them. وَلَتَسْمَعُنَّ مِنَ الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْكِتَابَ مِنْ قَبْلِكُمْ وَمِنَ الَّذِينَ أَشْرَكُوا أَذَنْ كَثِيرًا Allah said to the Prophet ﷺ that most definitely you will hear from those people who had been given the book before you, and you will also hear from the people that are still engaging in shirk, you'll hear very, very painful, hurtful, terrible things from them. But if you continue to be patient and be God conscious, then this is the best course of action for you. Right? That the people who have been, many of the people who have been given the book before you, like Ahlul Kitab, they want nothing more but to return you back into the religion after you have been given iman. And this is only for the reason that they are jealous of you. They are extremely jealous of you. 
after the truth became clear to them. So Allah told them, So forgive them, meaning let it go, and ignore it, forget about it, keep doing what you're supposed to do, until the next command from Allah comes. And this basically remained the situation for some time. Until finally, the scholars say that when the Muslim community became established. See, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was telling the Prophet ﷺ that you, you have to pick your battles right now. You have a community to rehabilitate. You have individuals that you have to rehabilitate. There are people who have been tortured for a decade. A decade of torture. You have to rehabilitate these individuals. You have to provide them safety and comfort. And show them that they are capable of living a peaceful life. Help them embrace the peace. And solidify your community. Establish your people. The spirituality of your community is your first priority. Make sure that they are able to be peaceful and pray in the masjid five times a day. And worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as He deserves to be worshipped. Then, once you've solidified all of this, then you can turn your attention to another situation. And that's when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the ayat from Surah Al-Hajj. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Udina lilladina. And the scholars explained that this was the first ayah that came down that gave Muslims permission to raise arms and fight those people that were attacking them. Udina, permission has been granted. Those people who were attacked and they were wronged and they were oppressed and their rights were violated wa inna allah ala nasrihim laqadirun and allah is fully capable of helping them alladhina ukhriju min diyarihim who are these people these are the people who were kicked out of their homes bi ghayri haqqin unjustly there was no justification for this illa an yaqulu rabbuna allah the only thing was that they said allah is our lord and our master wa lawla daf'u allah nasa if Allah had not made these people preoccupied with one another, that all of the different houses and places of worship on the face of this earth would have all been knocked down and destroyed. And any place where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was remembered would have been destroyed. Allah helps those people. Most definitely, without a doubt, Allah will continue to help those people who aid and help Allah. Meaning who support the deen and the religion of Allah. In Allah Aziz, Allah is mighty and powerful and He is dominant and overwhelming. So this was the first time that permission was given that you can actually take up arms and deal with the threat that is knocking at your doorstep. So this was an option that was provided. That's why the Qur'an uses very specific language, Udina, permission's been given. But it's up to you whether you feel it's necessary right now or not. Later on then, Allah would command the believers that you have to fight those people that fight against you. وَقَاتِلُوا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ الَّذِينَ يُقَاتِلُونَكُمْ وَلَا تَعْدَدُوا Fight those people in the path of Allah. Fight, fight in the path of Allah those people who fight you. But do not cross the line. Don't go too far in this issue. And this is basically the progression of this particular issue. And how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provided them reprieve from something that they had been dealing with for a very, very long time. 
Now basically we move forward in, we go back to the um, actual seerah, the chronological seerah, and we take a look at basically what is, happening, what is happening there. About six, seven months after the Prophet ﷺ arrives in Medina, and Masjid Nabawi is established, and the community has been established, and Allah has sent down this ayah now that look, you have permission to defend yourself, and to make it clear that you won't be bullied, and that you won't be treated like this. The Prophet of Allah ﷺ recruited some individuals and basically, initially he recruited from the Muhajirun. Because the primary th- threat were the people of Quraysh, were the Meccans. And if you remember when the Prophet ﷺ came to Medina, even though as we will see very soon, the Ansar of Medina were more than willing to stand up for the cause of Islam, as we would see in the Battle of Badr. However, the Prophet ﷺ generally had this understanding before coming to Medina with the Ansar, that look, if somebody attacks Medina, we'll all fight. But if we go outside of Medina to take up our previously existing grievance with the people of Mecca, with the Quraysh, that will not be your responsibility. We'll take care of that. That's our problem. We brought it to Medina and we will deal with it. The Meccans, the Muhajirun, the Meccan Muslims. So the Prophet of Allah recruited from the Muhajirun. This is about six or seven months after the Prophet arrived here in Medina. He first and foremost recruited Hamza bin Abdul Muttalib. Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib was the uncle of the Prophet but was also his foster brother, like his milk brother. And he was very close to the Prophet ﷺ, not just in age, but also emotionally. They were very, very extremely close. He was very protective of the Prophet ﷺ, and the Prophet ﷺ had a great love, had a lot of affection, a lot of affinity for Hamza bin Abdul Muttalib radiallahu ta'ala anhu. <clears throat> so the Prophet ﷺ recruited 30 men from Nuhajirun, appointed Hamza radiallahu anhu as you know, the leader of this group. He gave him a flag, and it was a white flag, and the Prophet of Allah sent them out. And the Prophet basically said that there are a lot of caravans these days. We've heard about a lot of caravans from Mecca coming and going, passing very close to Medina. I want you to basically go and check out the situation. And if there seems to be any situation, I want you to deal with it as need be. So Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu goes out <clears throat> and basically he meets there Abu Jahl. Abu Jahl is there with 300 men from Quraysh. 300 men from Quraysh. So Majdi ibn Amr, he basically steps in and he reconciles the situation so it's Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu, 30 muhajirun, sahaba. On the other side, it's Abu Jahl and 300 Qurayshis, Meccans. But Majdi bin Amr basically steps in and kind of reconciles the situation. But there was no fight on that day. Basically, he says, look, everybody just go back. You guys, you got your Medina, you go mind your own business. Hey, you Abu Jahl, you go back to home to Mecca and you mind your own business. And so everyone basically went back to wherever they were going. And Hamza radiallahu ta'ala with the flag of the Muslims, it was a white flag. And the 30 sahaba, he returns back to Medina and gives the account to the Prophet This was the first expedition of Muslims in the Medinan era. And it's known as the Sariyah 
of Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib. Two terms I'd like you to be familiar with. Ghazwa, generally in the Arabic language, just means like a military expedition. But in the seerah, sometimes each science has its own terminology. In the seerah, it refers to when a group of Muslims goes outside of Medina, and the Prophet of Allah joins them. So it's a campaign or an expedition that the Prophet himself accompanies or takes part in. If the Prophet sent out the Sahaba to, on an expedition or a campaign or whatever it was, and he did not go himself, that's called a Sariyah. And so this was the first Sariyah, the Sariyah of Hamza bin Abdul Muttalib. Linguistically speaking, they both are interchangeable. Both refer to expeditions or campaigns. But the scholars of Sira distribute them in this way so that we can tell the difference. Sariyah was a military Muslim expedition, Islamic expedition, without the Prophet ﷺ. Ghazwa is with the Prophet ﷺ. So basically about a month after that, about a month or you know, six weeks after this Sariyah of Hamza bin Abdul Muttalib, the next Sariyah goes out. And this particular Sariyah, this group was led by Ubaidah ibn al-Harith. Ubaidah ibn al-Harith, ibn al-Muttalib. The Prophet ﷺ appointed him, gave him again the white flag, and then the Prophet ﷺ told him to walk to a place called Batan Rabigh. Batan Rabigh is a place that was not, that, that basically was outside of Medina, but it was on the way between Mecca and Medina. It was on the route from Mecca to Medina. He told him to go out to Batan Raghib. Batan Rabigh. Excuse me, Batan Rabigh. And the flag was carried by Mistah bin Uthatha. Mistah bin Uthatha was the one carrying the flag. And they reached the place of Thaniyatul Mara. It was, it's off the corner of the, of the place called Juhfa. And there were 60 muhajirun, 60 companions, 60 Muslims that were in this group. So 60 Muslims, Ubaidah ibn Harith is the leader, and Mistah is carrying the white flag of the Muslims. And there was no Ansari, these are still all muhajirun. And they basically ended up re meeting a group of mushrikeen who were traveling, and they all met one another. They happened at one another at a watering hole, alama'in. So there would, be, there would be these spots wherever there was a spring or a watering hole and travelers would stop there and get some rest there. So they run into a group of the mushrikeen there. Um, and the narration basically says that when they kind of ran into each other at that watering hole, there were some words being exchanged and everyone started to panic a little bit like what's going on over here, are we going to fight? And so a couple of arrows were shot. A couple of arrows were shot. But they weren't necessarily so much shot at the other person as like the arrows were being shot like up in the air. Just like, you know, kind of firing off some shots in the air to kind of make everybody aware that, look, we got some weapons with us. All right, and both sides kind of did that a little bit. And the mushrikun, the group of the mushrikun were 200 men. So again, these are very large numbers. We're not talking about like Muslims. A lot of times a picture is painted like these Muslims are going out raiding like, you know, five, ten Qurayshis are traveling. In the first group, you had 300. And Abu Jahl was with them. This time, you have 200 mushrikun. And Abu Sufyan was with them. So these are very large groups. There's only 60 believers. And so a couple of arrows were shot. But nevertheless, there was no fighting between the two groups. 
And they basically again returned back from here with no casualties and no actual physical engagement. Then basically another two months after that, the third Sariya takes place. And this time it was led by Sa'ad bin Abi Waqas. Sa'ad bin Abi Waqas, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, another great companion of the Prophet sallallahu a Qurayshi, a Muhajiri, a Makkan. And he was also related to the Prophet sallallahu He was from Quraysh, Banu Hashim. So Sa'ad bin Abi Waqas goes this time, and the Prophet again gives the group a white flag, but this time the flag is being carried by Al-Miqdad ibn al-Aswad. Al-Miqdad ibn al-Aswad. And there were 20 men in this group. So again, it's a very small group. 20, 20 men. And one of the people that was in the group, he actually narrates it, or, or rather, excuse me, Sa'ad bin Abi Waqas, his own son, from his father, from Sa'ad bin Abi Waqas radiallahu ta'ala, who narrates the incident, kharajtu fi rajulan ala aqdamina. I had 20 men with me, so that's why some scholars of history, some of the seerah, uh, scholars of the seerah, they say there were a tw- total of 21 men. Sa'ad bin Abi Waqas and a group of 20, and he says we were walking. We didn't even have transportation, we didn't even have any type of ride or any animals. So it's not like we were a cavalry, or we were going and raiding something. We were on foot, we were walking. And he says, فَكُنَّا نَكْمُنُ النَّهَارَ وَنَسِيرُ اللَّيْلِ and because of the two previous incidents with 300 and 200 Qurayshis being not too far outside of Medina, we were being careful this time. So we used to actually hide out during the daytime and we would travel at night, even though that was a very dangerous thing to do, but that's what we were doing. Hatta subahna al Kharrar. And the Prophet ﷺ told us to travel to a place called Kharrar. And that was the furthest that we were supposed to go. We were not supposed to go beyond this place. And some of the narrations mentioned that this was a place where Banu Zuhair and Banu Badr, they used to live. And it was also known as Wadiul Hijaz. It was kind of like known as the Valley of Hijaz. And so we were told to travel to this place. Sabahna al-Kharara subha khamisa. He said the morning of the fifth day, after five days of traveling, we finally reached this particular place. The Prophet had made me swear that I would not go beyond the point of Kharar because we weren't trying to declare war, we were just trying to make sure the area was secure. And he said there was a huge trading caravan of the Quraysh that had already passed through here the day before. And they were on their way to Sham. And so the narrations basically mention that on their way back from Sham, then they would basically um, run into this particular caravan again. And that's what would, um, or, or excuse me, no, the, 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 that's another incident that we'll talk about next week. In this particular incident, he just says that there was a, there was a caravan of the Quraysh, but it had already passed by this day. And so we missed them. And so we basically returned back to Medina and went back and rejoined the Prophet ﷺ in Medina. So these were the first three expeditions that happened in the Medinan era. There was the expedition that is known as the expedition led by Hamza bin Abdul Muttalib, the second, which was about six months after the Hijrah. There was another one that happened about a month later that was led by Ubaidat ibn Harith. And there was a third one that happened another two months after that. So now we're about 10 months 
in, into the Medinan era after the hijrah of the Prophet and this third and final one was led by Sa'ad bin Abi Waqqas and so these were the first three expeditions and again to understand what was going on was there's a couple of things like I talked about in the beginning I gave you a very thorough introduction why the Prophet was doing this but let me talk about some of the benefits from it number one they ran into Abu Sufyan they ran into Abu Jahl they ran into 300, 200 Right? Very hundreds, large numbers of Qurayshis, of Makkans. The Makkans basically got the message that the Muslims are taking care of their home. Because they had gotten so used to the Muslims being doormats in Mecca, even though they didn't understand that they were obeying the command of Allah, they weren't being doormats. But from the Makkans perspective, from the Qurayshi, the Mushrik perspective, these Muslims are just doormats. So they figure they're going there and living in Medina and they're just, they're whatever, they're just continuing their old ways. Now they saw 60, 30 men gathered together you know, with some weapons on them, marching out and checking their areas and making sure everything was safe and sound. You know, checking on any type of disturbance in the area. Anytime a couple of hundred people show up, they go out there to make sure everything's okay. So they took him seriously. That message, that message was reached back to Mecca. That message reached Mecca that look, the Muslims take this very seriously. They take their sanctity, their safety, their city very seriously, number one. Number two, this is also sending a message as we will see in the upcoming sessions. This also sent a message to the A'rab. The Bedouin Arab tribes that lived outside of Medina, particularly on the road between Mecca and Medina, the tribes that lived along that path, it sent them a very serious message that these Muslims that have come here are not so vulnerable that you could basically just walk in anytime you wanted to, to take over Medina. But rather they take their protection very seriously. And these people will defend themselves if the need arises. So it sent a very, it sent a strong message, not just to Mecca, but it sent a strong message to the people outside of Medina. Which was very important because as we're going to talk about in the coming sessions, the following year, before even the Battle of Badr, the Prophet ﷺ himself would go out, outside of Medina, and would personally establish allies and alliances he personally would establish alliances with some of these Bedouin tribes. So this was sending them a message that, look, these are good, strong, confident, proud people. That was very important. And thirdly and finally, it was very good for the morale of the Muslims. This was part of the rehabilitation. You know, a lot of times they talk about confronting your demons, dealing with your issues, facing your fears, the Muslims, the Muhajirun especially, I've I mentioned this a number of times already, some of them had been tortured for over a decade. Can you imagine being chained up and being beaten, senseless, to the point of unconsciousness, every single day for eight years, nine years, ten years? Think about how traumatized they were. It was important for the rehabilitation of these Muhajirun as well, that they picked up a sword in their hand, walked outside of Medina, stood across from a group of the people, the same people that had tortured them, 
and held their sword very proudly and said, no more. This will not happen again. This time you attack, we will fight. And so it's very important for the morale of the believers as well. And also to build the confidence of the Ansar. Because as we'll see when we get to the Battle of Badr, the Ansar would pick up arms and join the Muslims as well. Very fervently, very enthusiastically. So you have to give confidence as well to the Ansar that this is the side of the Haq. That being on the side of the Haq, yes, you know, there's ups and downs and sometimes there will be defeats and Qadr Allahumma shafa'al, but at the same time there's a dignity to it. There is a pride and a dignity to haq and to truth. And so, so it was also building the confidence of the Ansar. So there are multiple benefits to the strategy of the Prophet of Allah wasallam. And this was basically the first three expeditions that occurred in that first year of the Medinan era of the Prophet wasallam's residence in Medina. And inshallah we'll go ahead and stop and pause here. And then we'll continue on forward from here. Basically what we're going to talk about in the coming weeks. Because the next few military expeditions happened in the second year. But before I transition on to the second year, there are a few other very important landmark events that occurred in the first year that were not military related but the I wanted to talk about these because that's basically where we were in the timeline about six seven months into the Medinan period so I wanted to talk about these three situations here and then we'll wrap up inshallah hopefully maybe next week the first year of the Prophet residence in Medina maybe it'll take two weeks and then from there we'll move on to the second year which will involve the Prophet himself multiple times going outside of Medina on military expeditions which would eventually lead to the Battle of Badr. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the ability to study the life of the Prophet and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it a means of understanding and guidance and, and uh, spirituality for us. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi, subhanakallah wa bihamdik, nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk.